Welcome to Impact AI, brought to you by Pixel Science Yale Labs. I'm your host, Heather Couture. On this podcast, I interview innovators and entrepreneurs about building a mission-driven, machine-learning-powered company. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to my newsletter to be notified about new episodes. Plus, follow the latest research in computer vision for people in planetary health. You can sign up at pixelscientia.com newsletter. Today, I'm joined by guest Praveen Pankajakshan, Vice President of Data Science and AI at Cropin, to talk about intelligent agriculture. Praveen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Heather. Thanks for hosting us. Praveen, could you share a bit about your background and how that led you to Cropin? Sure. So I have my background in electrical engineering, so my primary undergraduate degree and also my master's. Um, both uh, were in electrical engineering and then I later on decided to do my PhD in computer science and applied mathematics from India and computers in France. But, you know, over a period of many years, I've been like dabbling in multiple applications of computer vision, machine learning into utilities, into energy sector, healthcare, life sciences. But a few years back, I was working with some family members and they had some farm and they were close to 30 years. They'd been working in organic farming. So slowly I got interested in agriculture and moving into India, I actually bought my own farm. And what started actually as a hobby, organic farming and myself being a farmer, then, you know, I was kind of starting to think, how can I also like, start using some of you know the recent advancements in technology and agriculture and especially i was more interested in sustainable agriculture so so a few years back i got this opportunity of leading machine learning team in based of hyderabad in in an organization called cotiva agriscience which is dow dupont agriculture division and from there on, you know, at that time I was working mostly in drones and and its applications and also a little bit on genetics. But then I thought that I wanted much more focus on areas which are directly linked to farmers. And that's when I got this opportunity of working with Cropin. So I started as the, uh, you know, the VP of data science and AI. I started my lab here working on the application of satellite imaging. And, you know, that's led me to where I am today. So what does Cropin do and why is this important for agriculture and in finding climate change? So Cropin has been in existence uh, now more than a decade. And it started originally as a farm digitization application. So this was even before agri-tech was actually a popular word and we started off with uh, small farmers, you know, working with them. But very quickly, we realized that uh, agriculture, not only in this part of the world, but in many other regions, is very unstructured and it's fragmented also. And the whole idea of uh, digitization became a big piece and central piece as well, and rightly so. So we were one of the first to actually enable farmers to digitized farmlands so you know farmers could actually walk around their field and and geotag their and geofence their uh, farms and sometimes they don't have actually directly available so 
uh, we enable them to do that. And once that is uh, geotagged, it comes into our system. And then, uh, you know, it's possible for farmers to monitor these farms, right? Uh, not only farmers, but those who support them, field agents, might be some corporates uh, or enterprise uh, who are into contract farming or development agencies who are working with many, many farmers and ensuring that they are actually, you know, climate resilient or uh, working towards sustainability, right? So in all of these cases, farm digitization becomes important. So that's the first thing that actually Cropin enables. The other thing is once it's actually digitized, then the geo boundaries come into our system. And then we are able to download the satellite images corresponding to that location, overlay it on top of these geo boundaries, and then monitor those farms. You can monitor the crop health, you know, the right time of sowing, the harvesting, any both biotic or abiotic stresses. Any weather related, you know, you can overlay also weather intelligence on top of it and provide information also on what kind of possible pests and diseases attack can happen in that location, right? Now, as you can imagine that, uh, you know, the current scenario, what is happening, Heather, is that many of these farmers are directly affected by climate change, right? And this is actually something which is really happening even as we speak, you know. So, for example, in India this season, right, the uh, the rainfall was delayed and now we are actually seeing, even though there was rain which picked up, but now we are again seeing loss in rainfall, you know, like, and so this is actually like realistic scenario which the farmers are tearing in front of them. And so it becomes very crucial for them to have like rightly time of advice and not only that, so sometimes farmers are overloaded with information, but what is the right information that we have to provide at the right time? It's very critical, you know. So should they actually like wait for the next rain? You know, should they sow it at this period of time? You know, uh, these are very important critical decisions for farmers and actually like really affect their yield and outcome, right? Uh, even in mid-season, right? Like last season, uh, for example, which was uh, the winter season for us, we saw that suddenly the temperatures were uh, increasing in certain regions, you know, and it's much higher than the long-term normals, as we call it, 20-year, 30-year normals. Sudden peaks in temperature, you know, day temperatures and difference between the day and night temperatures very less. Under those circumstances, the soil heats up, you know, like we saw that potato farmers were having very severe, you know, uh, the potatoes that were coming were having heat necrosis, you know. So it could have been avoided if, for example, if the tiny spraying of water had been done to cool down the soil, you know. So these are very important advices which uh, we can provide, right? Very simple one, but very effective one also. So what role does machine learning play in this technology? There are many areas where actually uh, machine learning have actually worked wonders. And I would say that because we we have been digitizing farmlands now for over a decade, so we have like crop information, we have like geo-boundaries of many of these farms which are there and we can actually anonymize it. And now it's diverse data set from across different countries many different varieties of crops and varieties of uh, seed genetics also, right? Now, all of this information is 
there. And so we can use this actually to train our models and to calibrate them, to fine tune them. The major areas in which, uh, you know, we find is like, firstly, when we look at satellite images, right? If we look at large swaths of land, one of the most challenging problems that we found is that it's very difficult to quantify where exactly agriculture lands are. Sometimes during a particular season, the farm might be kept barren, right? So it's very important to detect regions where where the sowing has happened, where the crops are growing, right? Now, it's a very challenging problem. It's not as easy as it seems because sometimes you might have shrubs growing, you might have grasses growing, trees, so some horticultural trees are like uh, also kind of, you can classify them as agricultural areas, right? So we identify that and that is actually done using machine learning as well. So we identify those regions and then on top of it, we identify regions where crops are growing, you know, and specific type of crops, right? So there we can actually take a decision, you know, and crop identification is also a challenging problem. You know, it's come from computer vision as well, because you now are looking at time series data, you're looking at both spectral and spatial data, right? So these are very challenging and open problems, uh, which in large, you know, regions which we are trying, which we are solving for, and we have like models which are in production. I think it's always an end-to-end, right? So it's right now, it's not just in one particular area that we foresee. Even if we are looking at, uh, you know, there are satellite images, we have cloud. And sometimes during the monsoon season, you know, during the wet season, you can see that, you know, between the satellite and the uh, earth, you know, there is clouds, you know, so you can't see the spectral signature of your crops is not visible, right? So how do you account for that? How do you take care of that? You know, at plot level, we are able to handle it, you know, so so that we can actually see these, you know, vegetative indices, uh, which are coming from the satellite to see how the crop is doing, right? So we combine multiple different satellites itself. Uh, we combine two different satellite modalities, both radar and optical data to kind of bring that clarity, right? So there are many other areas I think this is just uh, scratching the surface, I may say, uh, in terms of examples which I've cited. So you mentioned satellite imagery. Do you work with other types of data, maybe data that's collected on the farm that's combined with it? Or is it satellite imagery really the core of what you do? Yeah, so we do have ground information as well. So when we, you know, geofence and geotag these farms, so that we have like some custom farms which are generated and from those forms, we actually have further information like, you know, when is the sowing date done? You know, the sowing that was happened, you know, when is the harvesting date? If it is past historical data that we are looking at, what type of plant was actually sown, a crop was sown? If they had any diseases, so they take photographs of these crops and if there are any diseases, that's uploaded. Right? Then we have information uh, regarding any management practices, inputs which they had, like fertilizers, pesticide applications, if any. These are all also uploaded. Many other farms, for example, who are interested in water conservation, right? they do provide an idea of how much of water inputs have gone into. So we do the irrigation scheduling for them. You know, So all these inputs actually come into us. Sometimes if there is any IoT devices like soil moisture sensors, right? So sensor uh, information comes in. So many potato growers, for example, they do for them soil moisture is a big thing, right? As I mentioned before. So then that data is there. So it's a combination of all of this, Heather. 
Do you need to annotate all, all this data that's coming in, not you know, just, just the data from the ground, but the satellite images, or does it depend on the model? Yeah, that's a great question. So actually, like one of the major challenges of you know working with satellite data is it definitely needs ground data. And when we actually talk about annotation, it's not strictly in the sense of computer vision. You know, it's not like somebody, you know, segments a particular area or labels it as a particular class, right? So in this particular case, there needs to be field visit. You know, that's a major challenging problem. And that's why the amount of data that's available for in agriculture is very limited, even globally as well, right? So when we talk about annotation, it's actually field visits. And these field visits has to be done within the season and sometimes multiple times within the season, you know, so there has to be a visit. So sometimes what happens is if you might in past data, if you ask a farmer in a particular location, they might say that, yeah, I remember, you know, few years back, I grew corn in this area or I grew uh, wheat in this area, you know, but, uh, you know, there is no proof that he or she did that, right? So you need actually to visit it during the season to collect all that data, you know, so that's one of the challenges of it. So here, when we talk about annotation, we literally mean going into the field and collecting that. So being in the field and at that particular location, geotagging, that it is indeed maize, take a photograph of it uh, to confirm it. Not only that, we also do something called as crop cutting experiments, you know. So I talked about machine learning. We do estimate that, you know, within the season or towards the end of the season, right, we do yield estimates, how much of yield is coming from the farm. In which case, there is something called crop cutting experiments which happen. So going into the field, somebody actually marks out a particular region of the field and then they take uh, samples of it and they weigh the dry and the wet biomass. And that gives you an idea of how much of yield you can expect. You know? So we correlate that also with the yield estimates that we get from satellite data. So you see it's quite intense in terms of annotation, if I may say so. What are some of the challenges you encounter in working with this data and with imagery? You mentioned a few things related to the clouds and the satellite imagery and the way you need to go about getting ground truth with site visit. Are, are there other common challenges that you deal with? Right. Agriculture is, you know, is very complex and it's also very nice to work with it because it's also profoundly impacting as well. And there are lot of problems which we have solved, like I mentioned before, but there are still some open problems. Problems which we have solved is partially, like in, not completely, but we have solved for the, you know, the cloud-related issues, right? Uh, so there is a way for us, and I'll talk about that later. But one of the major challenges of agriculture data is in computer vision and in machine learning, what we call as out of distribution, right? So if we train our models on one particular set of data in one particular region, scaling up to other regions is a big challenge, you know? So there would be uh, classes which you have not encountered for. There would be uh, samples of a particular class which you have never seen before, you know? So these are things which has to be taken into account, you know? So and the diversity of the crops. So you're always going to find there are many crops which you've never seen before, right? A new region we moved to, there are new crops, you know, so how do we deal with that kind of ambiguity? There would be minimum number of samples, even if you've seen it, then in that particular 
crop, there will be minimum number of samples, right? So the diversity is humongous when working with agriculture data and the amount of data that's available in the public domain is very limited, right? Knowledge also is, if you look at it, it's in terms of what is available in the public domain is there is a lot of ambiguity in it or there's conflict, right? So somebody says that the sowing starts at this period of time, but somebody else says that the sowing starts at a later period of time, you know, so what do you take as ground truth, right? And there are reasons for it because as you can imagine that with the climate change, with the global warming that is happening, the seasons are changing, you know, like between one season, which was before, is now getting delayed. So the next season either starts or it's also delayed. You know, either there is an early start or there is a late start, right? So all of this means that the earlier knowledge that we accumulated is also no longer valid, if I may say so, you know, or needs improvements, right? Or needs ramifications of uh, changes, right? So that is something that we have to accept and we have to work with and deal with, right? While we are working with agriculture data and knowledge also, if I may say so. How does your team plan and develop a new machine learning product or feature? In particular, what kind of steps do you go through at the beginning of the process? Right. Uh, That's a great question. So we have adopted something called as a technology readiness level, and we have also the product readiness levels. So the TRL levels, the technology readiness levels, they actually follow through totally like five or six steps. And beyond that, they actually go into product. What we do in each of these steps, they are very clearly defined. And what we look at is initially when either there is a new client comes in or new idea that comes in, you know, it starts with the tier level zero. So we do the initial screening and we look at the public uh, literature that's available in that subject and everything. And so we build our initial POC, you know, and we test it out with a few clients. Now, the way that we actually like extend that is that we try to see if more clients are interested and we try to scale them up. So there are two ways in which we scale it. One is looking at in terms of the number of farmers that we cater to, right? So the number of customers that we cater to. The other way of scaling is moving into new crops and new geographies, you know, so one particular machine learning model, it's not enough if it actually caters to, you know, let's say India or in Africa and then, you know, so we should have the capability of testing it in other locations as well. The yield model, for example, it's uh, tested in over 20 countries now, you know, and more maybe. So we have like made it very, very robust and is now in production and, you know, it's been scaled up and all of it works in the cloud right now, you know, so here I'm talking about the computing cloud, you know, so everything works on the cloud. So we are able to bring it to a certain level of automation so that, you know, any farmer once they register, you know, now the monitoring happens at all levels, you know, whatever they would like to see from their farm. So that's the different, you know, levels that we actually take the each of the product or feature through. And before it's transferred to production and then it's actually scales up from there. Then it's just a question of like just uh, the farmer registering it and then, you know, the features being readily available for them as soon as the satellite images are available, right? So it's only contingent on the availability of the satellite image. So the next uh, time there is a satellite overpass and once the satellite image is downloaded, then 
it's ready for them at their desktop or on directly on their application. How does the seasonal nature of agriculture affect machine learning development? For example, do you focus on certain activities during the growing season and others in the off season? Yeah, so that's also a very good question. One of the important parameters, as I mentioned also, because it's very seasonal in nature, we have to actually plan it absolutely well, especially data collection. Right? It's very important that if we miss the season, then it's very difficult to capture it, you know. So all our, for example, in-field data collection, everything have to be absolutely synced up with the field team. So we have to pre-train them on how to use our own systems for collection and then, you know, ensure that, uh, you know, we do the quality checks on the data that is collected, you know. So all of that is a very, very stringent, rigorous and very well-planned. There has happened instances where, you know, because of one reason or the other during the, for example, the COVID time, you know, it was challenging period, you know, for us to actually collect data. So that has to be really well planned out data collection, for example. And if you miss that, you have to understand that we have to wait until the next year of the wet season for us to get wet season data, dry season data, you know, you get it immediately after the wet season, right? So a year is your wait. Now, the other thing is geographies that you're interested in, right? All of it has to be pre-planned. Not only that, like one thing is like if uh, it is growing season during one period of time, because we focus also globally, you know, some other regions, it's already harvesting has started, right? Or some people are preparing for sowing, right? In some other locations, it might be mid-season, you know, so... It's actually like, you know, throughout the year that we have to pay attention in different geographies, you know, so it's very, very country specific, very geography, that local region specific. Now that's mostly about, you know, data collection, right, and planning, field activity planning and field data collection, right, and field staff resourcing. And about deployment also, development actually happens throughout the year, but deployment is something that we have to be like, you know, very also on our toes all the time because it can like you know sometimes your requirement for uh, from a particular region or a farmer or you know set of farmers or clients or development agencies can almost like come very quickly so we have to keep our models ready you know so if there is a version one of the model so we keep a baseline model ready for deployment and we are working on the version two of it you know already trying to improve that right so it happens and only way to handle that is by ensuring that we have these running in the cloud, you know, so that as soon as they're ready for the season, sometimes it just comes like just before the season is about to start and we have to be ready for that, you know. So development, you know, we have to ensure that first we have some baseline models ready for deployment, for inferencing and development happens almost simultaneously, you know, so. Machine learning is advancing quite rapidly right now. There are new advancements hitting the headlines more frequently than ever before. Are there any new developments in computer vision or AI more broadly that you're particularly excited about and perhaps can see a potential use case for Crappen? Uh, you know, like having been in this field for two decades, I still feel that there is a lot for me to learn. And it's exciting to see all these new new models, new ideas and which are coming out. There are some trends, there are excitements, there are a lot of, uh, you know, focus on, you know, certain 
models and you know i'm specifically talking about either vision foundation models or language foundation models right we have been more you know focused and centered around like what are those which are fundamentally important you know for actually bringing difference to farmers and to the world also right so one of the major area that we are uh, focused on is and which kind of uh, happened instantly is like i was mentioning is having these problems with satellite data you know cloudy time periods and you can see that within a time series of uh, images right you see that there are uh, clouds appearing you know so now we can actually use radar radar is actually you know can penetrate into the clouds and you can uh, get some visibility but you are actually not looking at the reflectance but you're looking at the backscatter coefficients right so how do you combine these was one of the problem that we are trying to solve and we used conditional gans to solve that right and over a period of time we realized that you know solving that and generating cloud images meant that uh, you know we were sitting on top of one essential model which could be called as a foundation model which could also be used for solving downstream tasks right like identifying like I mentioned, which areas is agriculture, lands, which to actually detect uh, maybe like changes due to forest fires, you know, how much of burnt areas there, you know. These are actually like really extreme and uh, exciting downstream tasks, which not only cloud filling, right, uh, not only uh, trying to reconstruct images, but even downstream tasks could also be accomplished with that, you know. So uh, that's one Actually, I would say not an original intent, but it uh, just came out as a side uh, potential for cropping. Um, and this is uh, one area which we are really interested in exploring and diving deep as well. As these models, as vision models, you can see that foundation models become more and more broader, you know, to solve for kind of become independent and represent the broad space of satellite images and what downstream tasks it can solve for. I think we are also looking and excited to solve that, right? The other thing, I think it's not AI per se, but definitely, you know, more and more consumers are actually moving towards, you know, ensuring that their food is sustainable, right? This is one thing which is really close to my heart is that with the current land systems that we have, soil that we have, you know, we can't actually keep putting stresses on our soil and also on our water system right and it is primarily very important for us to shift towards a sustainable and regenerative agriculture practices so i'm also excited uh, we are actually launching a center of excellence within crop in for that and for ensuring that we produce food also sustainably right and help people do that so that's one exciting area which we foresee, you know, which will also, you know, really push the boundaries on what we can do with agriculture for a growing population, but also for a population which is becoming conscious, climate conscious, and also on uh, conscious on what they eat also, right, and what they consume. That sounds like, like a great new development. Is there any advice you could offer to other leaders of AI-powered startups? Yeah, this is just much more looking at the space. And obviously, it's a, you know, it can be quite intimidating for a lot of uh, people who are starting at this period of time, right? And I would say that for us, what has helped, and maybe this might actually help everyone is to really 
stay grounded mm-hmm. and just start with focus on the business models that we are trying to build, you know, and not be taken in too much by, for example, the trends that's happening in this space. So not all of them might actually have an immediate business value. So if uh, we are able to focus on the fundamentals and, you know, build simple models and demonstrate get the buy-in from the customers, get their confidence, get their trust, right? And that is critically more important than building complex models, right? I would say that sometimes, you know, many of the cases that we have solved is sometimes it's very simple ideas, right? Uh, Which has actually taken us very far to our relationship with clients and customers. The other thing is to have a very good strategy for data, that's primarily important, right? Because at the end of the day, that's uh, while AI systems are going to get more generic, you know, fine tuning of them will definitely be imperative. And even if you do have a small data set, uh, you know, but if that data set is, is very well curated, if it's clean and you have like, you know, complete trust in that data, uh, it's fair, then I think that goes a long way rather than, you know, building a huge database, huge data platforms, which consumes not only like a lot of computational you know, storage, <clears throat> but uh, it can also be very difficult to manage, right? So I would say start small and scale it up and insist more on data quality rather than the quantity of the data, I would say. And finally, where do you see the impact of crop in in three to five years? It's a tough question, but and I'll try to answer it as best as I can. So what we would like to do as Cropin is, uh, you know, we have launched the first Cropin cloud platform. And this is for, you know, different players in the market to come and use the services of Cropin at this moment. So this was our first launch and it's the first agriculture cloud platform. But, uh, you know, as I mentioned, one of the things that we are kind of excited is to enable as many farmers as we can, you know, and wherever there is cultivable land in the planet, we would like to enable monitoring those lands. And what is uh, closer to my heart is to actually like service uh, these small landholding farmers and not inundate them with uh, information, but uh, provide them with information which is very, very relevant. At this period of time, they are all struggling with quality information, right? And it's very, very important for us to curate and channelize and make that ready. And what we would like to do within Cropin to do that is ensure that not only data, but the knowledge and everything that we curate is absolutely accurate so that we can actually cater to the growing farmer population and also ensure food production is actually sustainable, right? And the other important thing is, of course, an extension of that. I mean, no farmer would like to actually add chemicals or things which can actually deteriorate not only their soil, but also the kind of produce that they're generating. So it's very critical for us to also enable farmers to make that uh, transition into a sustainable production, right? And they are really struggling with it. And at the same time, make it profitable for them, right? So it is win-win for everyone. And we would like to enable that for the farmer, for the planet, and also for the consumers who are involved in in also in this, right? So that's something which is more closer to, you know, my uh, heart that we can achieve in the three to five year framework, uh, Heather. 
This has been great. Praveen, you and your team at Crappen are doing some great work for agriculture. I expect that the insights you've shared will be valuable to other AI companies. Where can people find out more about you online? So we are available in croppin.com. Uh, so you can visit our website and, you know, or write directly to me at praveen at croppin.com. And I'll be happy to answer the questions either they have with respect to agriculture or anything that they want to help in this domain. After all, we can't do this alone. And uh, we are always happy to collaborate and also help uh, those who want to really bring a difference to both agriculture and to the planet. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much, Heather, for inviting us. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Heather Couture, and I hope you join me again next time for Impact AI. Thank you for listening to Impact AI. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. And if you'd like to learn more about computer vision applications for people and planetary health, you can sign up for my newsletter at pixelscientia.com newsletter.